0: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com.
2: Hi, this is Chris Cooper of More, com and CC1Consulting.com, and I'm delighted to be back with you again for another week. Um, we're going to talk today about how to use humor and storytelling practically and profitably in your presentations and speeches. But, you know, the truth is that if you can get better at using humor and telling stories, then it's only going to have a positive impact in any area of your life. So, uh, you know, this uh, particular show could um, make a a great difference in other areas of your life, too. And I'm sure it'll make you and those around you happier, too. I actually read an article a friend sent me this week. It was in a newspaper, The Guardian. It was on the top five regrets of people who are dying by Bronnie Ware. An Australian nurse who dealt with palliative care patients. Um, sounds a bit uh, negative, but it was—it's was actually very uplifting. But one of the things it's identified in there was um, some of the said some of the most common regrets people have, and the fifth one was, "I wish I'd let myself be happier." Um, also, just out of interest, number one was that you might be interested to hear was, I wish I had the courage to live a, a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And you know, I think humor and stories can take courage and also they can deliver unexpected positive results and they can make you happier and certainly those around you. But how do you best use humor and storytelling in your presentations and speeches Perhaps you've marvelled at people who can engage an audience with their wit and stories. Uh, maybe it's time to learn to bring back more humour into your life and be able to tell stories and enchant people and bring them around to your way of thinking. So let's look at how you can learn to use these skills really effectively in your work. On this show, we have two leadership and public speaking skills experts um, who are respectively experts in humour and in storytelling. And they are Ashley Baroda and Andrew Thorpe. I'll start with Ashley. Ashley Baroda began his leadership and public speaking skills at the tender age of 15, when he was selected to train in the United States um, a year later. And he spent three years enhancing and passing on knowledge to the next generation of leaders, including the now chair of a well-known British political party member. In um, not member, so a chair of the British, a British political party. In recent times, actually merged his desire to help people speak in public with flair and confidence with his expertise in stand-up comedy. And since 2006, he's been running courses in businesses, in schools, theatre companies, youth projects, charities, adult education conferences, one-to-one sessions for management trainers, radio presenters, and even a famous playwright. Ashley Baroda Entertainment was launched in 2005, and it's a, a boutique-style comedy management company representing comedy performers and writers. In addition to, the, to his personal, man- to personal management, uh, the company produces live comedy events and promotes shows at the Edinburgh Fringe. And he's worked with some very well-known now uh, English, British comedians, not all English, they're British, uh, John Culshaw, Melon Sue, and Rob Brydon. Andrew Thorpe is uh, a graduate of Manchester University. He's a professional speaker and communication skills trainer. He's a co-founder of Mojo Life, and he plays and he plays a, a key role in its uh, leadership. Andrew spent many years in the golf and leisure industry as a professional referee, tournament organizer, operations and marketing manager, and journalist. When a life-changing experience led him to adopt a different path. And he successfully rebranded himself. He founded Speakeasy Groups, which now form part of Mojo Life's innovative approach to developing presenting, presentation, and speaking skills. He's spoken at the prestigious TEDx conference. He's authored the Seven Pillars of Sporting Success and How to Apply Them in Business, and is co-author of several books on communication-themed topics. A big welcome to Ashley Baroda and Andrew Thorpe. Thank you. Hi, Chris. Hi, hi, guys. Um, great to have you on the, um, on the show today. And I'm going to start, if I can, with, with you, Ashley, I'm directing this to you. And I just wonder, you know, just, just to be really clear, what is your definition of humour?
3: Can I just, before I start, I want to just come back on the, the, the uh, you mentioned the article in The Guardian. And One of the things I've always said to people about uh, getting up and speaking is that when they write down the things that they most wanted to do or things they regretted in their life, the fact that they may have got up and spoke some, spoke at an event, or done some stand-up or any of those things wouldn't be on the list. It wouldn't be a major regret. So in fact, you might as well do it because, uh, and you wouldn't even consider it as one of those things that you regret not doing. It's just you can, you know, it's great advantages that can be, that can come from it, but it doesn't really matter uh, that much. It will never be the most important thing in your life. What do you think, though? I mean,
2: if I, I sort of thinking this year I've done a lot more speaking than I've done in previous years, and actually, you know, being able to stand up and speak to an audience and it go well, I have to tell you, it makes me feel a lot happier.
3: Uh, absolutely, the, the benefits for you, the, you know, the person, the person speaking, and and for the audience uh, are huge. But people make such a big deal of it. But what I'm saying to them is if they got up and had to speak at some stage, it wouldn't be even if it went wrong, it wouldn't go down as the biggest regret in their life. So the risks are very, very low.
2: Very true. Very true. Um, so go on then. What, what is your definition of humor?
3: Well, I think it's anything or words or actions that make people laugh. I think it's as simple as that. Uh,
2: and I guess there's a number of, um, you know, kind of elements of it. There's this, uh, stand-up comedy isn't there and and maybe just using it as a part of your work and in your social life
3: yeah i mean stand-up comedy obviously is 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 there for performance purposes but just making people laugh and communicating with people connecting with people it's humor is you know is something you can use very skillfully to win people over so if you're in a tricky negotiation or you've met somebody who's comes over as just a little bit difficult to deal with quite often breaking the ice with something funny has as immense uh, you know you get an incredible response rarely if ever does it have a negative response
2: absolutely you just have to think about people falling falling over when they're just about to get an award or something <laughs> It always brightens evening up doesn't it always <laughs> so how do you see people getting it wrong in their presentations and speeches
3: Well, this is an interesting question because I get asked it all the time. I get asked, if I'm trying to be funny, what happens if I say something inappropriate? And my answer is always the same. What are the chances of you saying something inappropriate when you're not being funny? And the chances are exactly the same. Everybody has an internal editing system that would say, hang on, I'm not going to say that. Uh, And my advice to people is if there's something that you really doubt in your mind, uh, then don't say it. But if it makes you laugh and you know that it's, it, it, it's, it's funny, then, then go for it and say it and it will have impact. That's different advice than I give to comedians. Obviously they have to say it out loud, regardless is if people might be offended by it or not. But for people in, in, in business environment, mostly you're not going to say anything that, that you shouldn't. So very little, if anything can go wrong.
2: Do you, do you have a view on that, that Andrew?
4: I think it's also worth pointing out that even you know, professional comedians um, have died on stage, but they they, they haven't given up. Um, you know, you, you you can't win them all. All audiences are different, and um, you've got to reflect on the experience and not lose confidence in yourself. And it, that that applies to you know general public speaking as it does to comedy.
2: And I suppose you're with with comedians and speakers, you you have to you spend a little bit of time maybe testing the ground, and what does work and what doesn't work and maybe sometimes you learn more when you you make a mess of things Um,
4: well always I I think in life you learn far more from your mistakes than you do when things go go uh, brilliantly well and and I think also you know just moving it on to to public speaking generally for a moment and audiences respond really well to speakers who are willing to um, uh you know, be be self-deprecating to bring their status down a little bit to explain things that have gone wrong for them, because the audience doesn't actually want to hear a story of somebody who's had everything perfect in their lives. They they want to hear a few ups and downs. But I think what they do want to hear is that what they're looking for is how that person picked themselves up again. And um, so, so there's no there's no fear, I think, in, in revealing times when things haven't gone well or you've made mistakes and to poke fun at yourself. It just it, you, you just need to make sure that there's something in what you're presenting which which has some real value and real insight for people
2: So moving that on to storytelling, we're kind of going to talk about these about humor and storytelling today together rather than um, uh, through this show and um, mm. those sort of aspects i mean how do you How do you define storytelling and and in what context are we talking here? because I know you, you talk about storytelling in the about it being practical and profitable.
4: Yeah, I think you've almost got two extremes of storytelling. You, you've got the very, shall we say, the fluffier end um, where people, um, you know, perceive it as a very light topic. It's where we sit around the campfire or, uh, you know, at the pub and share funny stories. Well, what, what's the point in a business context? And then at the other extreme, you've got storytelling in terms of your brand. You know, you have a brand story. You have a reputation which is delivered through telling some kind of story of, of what mission you're on, what purpose you have as a business, uh, what you want to be known for, what you stand for. That, that's a piece of storytelling. And then within that bigger story, you've also got lots of mini stories, <clears throat> which I would describe as being in your vault. We all have a vault or a library, a mental finding cabinet of anecdotes and experiences of, you know, reference material. And if we can pull those out of the bag at a given notice or, you know, at a moment's notice and um, weave them into conversations, presentations and so forth, it's a really, really good social skill to have. It comes across as being very improvised, very spontaneous, but you're actually drawing on a vault of stories, which you've probably told many, many times before in perhaps different circumstances in different ways. Um, but this form of practical storytelling, I think, is also very profitable because it allows you to convey your your personality, your uniqueness, uh, both as an individual and as a business.
2: Yeah. So, so what you're talking about here is that actually, you uh, know, thinking and planning and developing this vault of stories, because sometimes people do try and pull stories out of the bag that maybe have just come to them and they fall flat.
4: I think I think when people start um, if they've read something, uh, you know, that leaders need to start telling stories, that leaders are now CSOs, chief storytelling officers um, rather than new traditional CEOs. They have a go, but they deliver a story which is very cold and flat and factual. And what they're doing is they're telling people what happened in terms of A was, and then B and then C. It's almost like a bullet pointed version of storytelling. But it's not really a story. There's no texture. There's no atmosphere. There's no emotion. There's no passion in the story. And they need to develop the art of telling those stories, which is beyond just telling the facts of what actually happened.
3: And that's where actually there is a, a good link with with stand up, Chris, because, Stand up is an immediate, uh, medium. Uh, so the idea is that could not happen in stand up. No one gives you loads and loads of facts because if you did, no one is going to laugh. So the system for stand up comedy is quite simple. It's a setup followed by a punchline, a setup followed by a punchline. And that repeats itself however long the comedian is on stage. And that translates for any type of presentation any type of story, you're just getting to the point continuously and having interesting points along the way. And that's why it's a very, very good system. And in one, actually, if most business presentations took that system, uh, less people would fall asleep. Right.
2: <laughs> it's just interesting. Um, I was reading a book in the, in the middle of the night last night. and I forget the name of the CEO, but it's a very successful CEO in the United States. And what he was saying was that when asked about what his job was, he said his job was to build passion. And I heard you use that word passion in there, Andrew. Mm. And, and therefore, you know, if, you, if you're thinking about that, stories are one way to really build passion, aren't they? So I think it sounds like we're talking about something here that's pretty
4: fundamental. Mm. I think, yes. I mean, stories are very good ways of, of connecting with people on a, on a deeper level, on, on more than a superficial level. Um, and a lot of people in business who communicate in a in a very factual, I would call it a transactional way, tend to develop transactional relationships, and then they complain that they're being beaten down on price and they're having to slash their profit margins. And my response to that is, well, don't communicate in that shallow, factual way. And so I, I think there is an element of emotion in in storytelling, but it's it's not necessarily, you know, getting uh, over the top and, and losing control. I think it is also about being authentic and actually tapping into an experience and relating an experience in, a, in an open way where you're sharing the vulnerability that you went through at the time, uh, but also sharing the ecstasy that you, you experienced when you got out of that problem. So it's it's sharing the ups and downs of the journey.
2: So we just got about a minute and a half to the commercial break, Andrew, but I'm just interested. Uh... I've been thinking about now that you know, storytelling, it sounds like we're talking about it verbally here, but you know, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people and certainly the internet kind of entrepreneurs tend to do a lot of storytelling in their marketing copy too, don't they? But I don't always see that in, in corporate marketing copy. I mean, what's your view on that?
4: I think it tends to be very cold, very bland, very abstract um and then um you know that there's a question as well hang on why isn't this working why is it not you know attracting the interest that we hoped? and that's because of the style of language that's being used it's not going to connect with people other than on that very superficial transactional way
2: yeah do any thoughts on that Ashley? just about a minute left
3: yeah I, 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 it's anything you have to have things that draw people in and i, I think as time goes by There's so much media. There's so many things to read it isn't something that grabs you immediately and then holds your attention. I I start to read loads of things and then a paragraph in. I just put them down and stop. So if the what the the message that they're wanting to uh, convey is later on in that uh, in that uh, pamphlet, I'm never going to find that out. Mm.
4: And I I can't remember who said this quote, but they, they once said that the short the shortest distance between two people is a story. And I think it's a lovely saying because it 's about connection it 's about people seeing themselves in the story that 's being told and that that 's why they connect with it so that 's a lovely way to
2: end this segment. We shall be back with you again in just a couple of minutes so do uh, do stay on the line.
5: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
1: Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you.
5: Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
1: You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at BeMoreAchieveMore.com. That's info at com. Now, back to Chris Cooper.
2: Hi, it's Chris Cooper here of BeMoreAchieveMore.com. I'm speaking with Ashley Baroda and Andrew Thorpe. And we're talking about how to use humor and storytelling practically and profitably in your presentations and speeches. Now, Ashley, um, let's talk a, a little bit about uh, humor again. Now, okay. You recently ran a A really great session, actually, at a speaking event that I was hosting. And you said that almost all people are funny, but there's a cultural resistance. Do you want to explain what you meant?
3: Yeah, I think that I blame everything. All the faults of the world are on the education system. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it 's the British education system. I think it 's an education system that that this happens worldwide and the fact that you follow obedience and anybody who says anything funny or does anything is that is is actually naughty, and that gets into the psyche uh, of a population and therefore being funny is seen as something that is is wrong and therefore so they resist it, and the power of 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 being funny is enormous. And the thing in this world where there's so much noise is you want to have a chance to stand out. And Andrew and I both talk about that in what we do a lot of the time. In fact, one day I went into Andrew's office and said, look, what are we going to do with this? People keep saying that we do soft skills training. And I hated that expression because soft, the less you're in, I don't know, skincare or furnishings is pretty much a negative connotation. Perhaps cheese—I don't know—but on the whole, it's a negative connotation. So we came up uh, with the idea that they're standout skills, and it's a great way of standing out. But I said, culturally, people are told, you know, behave, be straight, go along, do what everybody else does. Don't, you know, veer away from from the norm. But it's those people that veer away from the norm that stand out. And and this is a really, you know, by being natural and being funny, which everybody is, they have that opportunity to do that. But you could argue, well, if everybody's funny, uh, that wouldn't work. But if you were <laughs> sitting like I have many times in dressing rooms or rooms full of comedians, uh, they can all be funny uh, without being competitive and uh, all have their own voices and everybody's thoroughly entertained.
4: Mm. Can I just build on that? What, what Ashley said, uh, Chris, um, uh, about there being you know, fierce competition for, for people's attention? And, um, and I think what we're doing now is an example of how, you know, media is becoming much more accessible to people, not only to in terms of, um, consuming it, but also broadcasting. So when you remove the barriers to broadcasting, um, you know, through Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and so forth, it just creates this huge amount of noise because there are no barriers to entry and people can say anything and they do. And um, so I think humor. And I think authentic storytelling is a wonderful way of cutting through that noise. Um, and I think it's uh, Nancy Duarte who does some great work in the States about this. She, she's worked on it with a few um, TED speakers. And um, she uses this, this phrase that rather than making more noise, you need to strengthen your signal. So so that. You know, the, the humour and the storytelling does actually help you stand out from all of that sea of white noise or static. And that's a lovely, a lovely line. It's a lovely, it's a, it's a lovely
2: distinction, I think. Mm. I wish it had been mine. <laughs> <laughs> At least
4: I credited it with it.
2: You certainly did. <laughs> um, so, I mean, while you were there, Andrew, I was kind of wondering, you mentioned, um uh, Nancy uh, sort of a description there. I mean, who do you think uses humour well and what t- techniques do you see them using? You want to go first, Ashley?
3: Um, well, I, I'm always interested in how politicians use it because I was talking to a, a, a opposition, senior opposition politician at a dinner last week, and he was saying that he's very nervous of using humour uh, because he might say something in jest. Uh, And yet it can be taken at face value. And then the press jump all over it. But we look at the the mayor of London, who is a man, in my opinion, is a bit of a lightweight politician. Other people will clearly disagree with that. But he has a fantastic persona because he's funny. And people like to listen to him, even if they disagree with what it is he has to say. Uh, And he's been caught out many a time, you know, talking nonsense. But he he just manages to charm his way through now. He's probably the most well-known politician in the United Kingdom. Uh, so they certainly he uses it well. Uh, Bill Clinton, I think I watched the uh, his um, his speech at the Democratic Convention uh, nomination, nominating President Obama. Uh, and it really was one of the most enjoyable speeches I think I'd ever seen. But again, it was full of humor. Uh, but the message, the serious message did not get lost in that. Uh, and I think that that's an important skill. And you can look at all sorts of celebrities around the world. Those that Jose Mourinho, uh, you know, one of the most well-known football managers in the world, has returned uh, to the Premiership, back to Chelsea, and the press are going to be absolutely delighted and fighting each other to go to his press conferences. Right. And that way, also, he's got that opportunity in a competitive environment to manipulate his uh, the press, the the officials, the, uh, the the put pressure on his opponents. Because everyone's going to his press conferences and everybody's listening to everything he says because he's funny and because he's full of character.
4: And I think as well, if if you want to observe a a masterclass in the use of humour around a a serious topic um, then have a look at Sir Ken Robinson's uh, TED talk about how schools kill creativity. I think that was back in about 2006. Um, And he's an educational reformer or perhaps a revolutionary. A professor by background but he gives the most wonderful speech and um, 18 minutes worth of gold um, and in the first half of his talk it there's an awful lot of humor and um, lots of storytelling lots of personal you know reflections and um, but in the second half it gets a little bit more serious but it's that balancing of, of light and shade you know that the light the humorous stuff mixed in with the more profound messages which i think helps the audience warm to him they enjoy the whole experience, and they're more likely to take on board his message. You know, his message within that 18 minutes is, is fairly simple, um, but because it's littered with humour and amusing references, it just makes the whole package more more digestible.
2: It was it was interesting. I mean, something you said earlier about you, I think it was you, actually about um, children at school, and you know, it wasn't always. The right thing to be kind of laughing in class because it was kind of we were, you know, we were in sort of controlled environments with people who wanted to have control over us and so, over us, and sometimes humor can undermine that, can't it? Um, is it a case when we get you know a bit older that, um, to be able to do this effectively, that we've got to try and you know unlearn and get back to the childish us?
3: I, I agree. Well, it's not childish but childlike that's important, and I think it's something that, that we lose. I also I think. Once we start going to school, we, we start to gain. And I don't know if it's biological or psychological. I've never really understood it, but we start to become self-conscious as well. So we're less willing to to get up on our feet and do something silly uh, or something that people might. You know, you think, oh, what might people think or oh, It's embarrassing and all those things that go through your head. Uh, my kids always complain that I haven't got that button that says this is embarrassing. Don't do it. And I, I think That I don't anymore, and I haven't had it for a long time. But obviously, as you know, as as in my I was 12, 13, 14, I wouldn't have done anything. It was at the age of 15 when I started being sort of getting involved with speaking in public and doing different things that changed me forever because it gave me a confidence. uh, The fact that actually the risk factor is very low because if hopefully people will enjoy it, sometimes they won't. uh, And I always enjoy it regardless of how well or badly it went. So it, it, it didn't make any difference. And I, I do think that that's important. And I think schools don't take it seriously as well. I was in, somebody sent me an article from the uh, Daily Telegraph in England yesterday and they, they live in the States. Uh, so I, I'd not seen it. But there's a uh, a private girls school uh, in London, I think, certainly in the south of England, which is bringing a a, a comedy improvisation troupe in to work with them, to help them with taking risks. And I thought that was really very interesting so interesting I'm now going to pursue it myself but it's it's the obvious thing because everybody perceives it as being very very risky uh doing comedy but actually if you analyze it and think about it it isn't at all
4: and I think generally speaking and you, you may find this Chris as well in your work that lots and lots of business people um walk around with a with a mask on they hide behind a mask for fear of allowing themselves to come through and to share a little bit of what's going on inside but of course you can't connect with people truly unless you reveal a little bit of what is inside you and and i think it was um I, your american listeners will probably know this guy and Bo eason uh, e-a-s-o-n a former nfl star uh, he's now um he wrote a, a broad play, a broadway play he's become a great speaker uses a lot of stuff on storytelling he was asked, you know, what what makes charisma, what makes one person more charismatic than another? And in his experience, charismatic people are more giving of themselves. They reveal more of what they've got inside them.
2: Yes, <clears throat> yes, that's uh, that revealing more certainly is. is, is a- Can I just come back on,
3: on what Andrew said about the mask is interesting. I, I did some training recently with a, with a sales director of a company uh, before. Uh, they went to pitch for a, for a big job, which which they did get. But one of the things that she was doing, apart from pitching to a panel of people for the company, she also had to bring her team with her. And when we were chatting beforehand, and I was asking her lots of questions, which I tend to do because everybody sort of reveals a lot in the first ten minutes of of a session, and then gives me a guideline of what it is I'm I'm aiming towards. But I identified and then said to her, "Is it right that you are more concerned not how you come across to the?" Uh, prospective client, but actually how you appear in front of your own team, and that was actually the thing she was more concerned about, which is interesting mm, definitely
2: so you mentioned uh, we mentioned about being self deprecating with your humor i mean what um, what are the best ways that you found to really use humor
3: I, I mean one of the things that that uh, Andrew mentioned earlier that he knows that I talk about a lot actually is is status management because it's a very good skill for doing that so we I mentioned Bill Clinton before quite often he will uh come on in front of his lecture and make a joke at his own expense uh, and that will mean that you you say a message to the audience that in fact here is my status uh, I'm going to just lower it a little bit and we'll have a bit of fun so it comes across as I'm a regular type of guy but then he, he he brings his status back up again so that he's allowed to speak he's given permission to speak otherwise if his status was that you know was was low then therefore nobody would want to listen to him so that that's certainly a, a good way joke at your own expense sometimes there are things about you comedians uh always do this uh mm-hmm. if you are I know very fat, very thin, very tall. You look like somebody famous. Uh, you need to address that in the first 30 seconds of going on and speaking uh, for two reasons. Uh, firstly, it, it's the status management, as I as I mentioned, but also you'll get a fantastic laugh and you'll get a fantastic laugh, not because necessarily, obviously it is funny, but the laugh is very, very unique. It's an outtake of breath. is thank heavens he knows that he's fat, right? It's important because that's what everybody is thinking when you get up and speak. And at that moment, you take control of the room, but it's a wonderful way of winning over your audience.
4: Uh, again, if if you want to see a, a great example of of somebody, Clinton's former running mate Al Gore, uh, traditionally known as a, a rather wooden politician, not known for his uh, you know great repartee or sense of humour, but he gives a terrific talk again on the TED stage, where about you know his environmental uh, campaign. Uh, and then for the first sort of five minutes or so, really, really takes the rip out of himself and, uh, you know, has the audience rolling around in laughter. And then he gets onto the serious stuff. And so another great example of, of managing his status very cleverly. Exactly. Excellent.
2: And I, and I think, um, actually, you said something to, to me when we were talking yesterday that, you know, using using humor and making people laugh actually makes your point stick.
3: It does. Absolutely. Memorability is everything. I mean, one of the things that I I do when I'm coaching people who are who are who are putting in a tender. So they're going in and they're facing a panel of people along with four or five or six other competitors, sometimes all in the same day. So those that have a different type of presentation or those that can make people laugh, that will stick in those people's minds. Otherwise, you've just got to hope you're the very last person on. So before they go home. Uh, Or the very first person, Uh, you know, anywhere in the middle can be a danger. So they are. Yes. If you can make people laugh, definitely helps with people remembering who you are, what it is that you've said.
4: And and again, I I think just briefly, Chris, if if you're looking to build that that library or vault of material, as comedians do, as storytellers do, you've got to have your antennae tuned in to pick things up that are going on around you. And if, if you're the butt of the joke in a particular situation, that's fantastic. That's gold. Um, and as Ashley well knows, I, I attended a networking event a while ago in a noisy room. And when somebody asked me what I did for a living and I, I said, well, I, uh, I tell stories, uh, he actually heard and um, he sells storage. Uh, so we, we had a misunderstanding, which led to a, a better relationship, actually, because of that rather amusing, uh, you know, misquotation. Uh, But I I think that if you can spot things that are happening in the world around you, ideally things you're involved in and then use those cleverly in your speaking, uh, you can really have the audience warm to you.
2: Where some people are speaking on stage and things go wrong, it's it's actually a golden opportunity, isn't it?
4: Oh, it's wonderful. As long as you don't panic and if you can react to it, and, and sort of riff, riff off the audience and improvise a little bit. So actually, you know, not totally improvised because you probably had a similar situation before, but you know how to deal with it. I guess it's the same with, with you know, hecklers in an audience with a, with a comedian on stage.
3: And also sometimes, I mean, the other week, actually, when I was comparing a comedy show, I got to the stage where I was just speaking. I, I didn't really know where something was going, but something came out of my mouth. And I thought, you know, that's really good, that joke. I didn't even, you know, I had no, I didn't plan it. It just happened, but I can now use it over and over and over again. So quite often when things go wrong, it's actually a bit of a gift.
2: So do you have a favorite joke, Ashley, when things go wrong?
3: Um, well, mean the thing that I always say to people is that the thing that everyone says, what happens if I forget what I'm saying? Uh, mid-flow and actually this works every time it's a great tip is if you just say to them you know what I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about at this point He gets a huge laugh and I don't understand the workings of the human mind but at that moment wherever it is you were, comes flooding back it's an incredible system I don't know how it works but it definitely does <laughs> great how, how about you Andrew
4: um, just reminding me, actually, if you, if you ever go blank um, on stage or if you're you know, facilitating a group and um, change tack and give the audience something to do, pair them up, get them to think about something, it buys you time. And of course, the audience thinks, oh, this guy's good. That's very clever. The way you just thought about doing that. But you're cheating in a way because you're just trying to gather your thoughts.
2: We've got about a minute till we go to commercial break. Break again now, and there's some really good tips there. And I just wondered, Ashley, you know, when you do get that situation, someone's heckling. Um, any, any, you know, should you should you put them down? How how should you actually manage that?
3: Oh, heckling is, is you have to make that judgment while while you're on stage. Mostly in a, in a comedy club, certainly heckling is mainly from drunk people, uh, in which um, you can't really it's unintelligible. So you quite, you can't really make a comment. And also you have to be careful that that person that you know hasn't got some sort of you know speech problem and everyone else in the audience knows that they're there and and not you and you could fall in the trap of saying something you know harsh which then can turn the audience against you the idea for heckling is to get them out of the way quickly but the best thing to do is to turn the rest of the audience against them and that shuts them up fairly quickly i used to say look come on you know mate uh you know you're ruining this for everybody else and it's a great psychological trick so everybody else is going oh yeah he is yeah he's ruining it for me and then they turn against him whereas before they hadn't really given it any thought
2: great we're going to go on to commercial break again now but after the break we're going to start looking at uh, you know how best to learn to be a great storyteller and how to learn to really use comedy uh, within your uh, presentations and speeches so we shall be back again with you in just a couple of minutes Up-to-date
5: business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Tuned in to Be More Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now back to Chris Cooper.
2: Hi, this is Chris Cooper of bemoreachievemore.com. Uh, if you want to find out more information about um, you know other 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 events and uh and other guests that are coming on this show etc and do sign up for my newsletter at bemoreachievemore.com but andrew um let's go on to storytelling again now how would you should you structure your storytelling is there is there a structure for it
4: um well uh, a beginning a middle and an end is a good idea it's a good starting point Uh, i think you have to obviously set the context in place and you have to kind of explain what happened and then there has to be some kind of resolution but there's a very interesting acronym that I love to use with my business clients, which helps them to understand their business story. And that's an acronym called PAL, P-A-L. And that's pain, aspirin and legacy. So the aspirin is really what they do, which is the thing that they want to you know, talk endlessly about straight away. But you've got to talk about the pain or the problem, which is the reason they need to exist you know, the pain that the clients have or the market has. Um, because then if you can get people to, you know, sort of tune in to what you're talking about, where they identify themselves in that story, then they'll be primed and interested to know what your aspirin is. But then, of course, you need to have a legacy, which is the happy ending. Um, it's what I would describe as the aspirational future, where they could be, um, you know, as a result of working with you. So I think it's a great way of of coaching business people to not get too obsessed with, you know, just I call it verbal vomiting (laughs) all over people and everything about what they do in one go without contextualizing it, making people realize why they have to listen to this and then inspiring people to want to know how to get somewhere. Do you recommend that
2: people take time to carefully craft their stories? I mean, sometimes I've heard stories from people who've not, not done any work with their storytelling and you know they can make you know a half marathon run or something a story that they did um suddenly turn into 15 or 20 minutes um well in my belief they could have done that in two and got a laugh out and well what's your thoughts about that
4: i think storytelling is really hard it's a, it's an art form it's very difficult to do well uh you know it when you hear it but you also know it when it's not being done well uh, and sometimes people will You know, they'll go on endlessly with far too much detail and they lose the audience completely. Or they'll give a very uh, bare bones, almost like a bullet pointed version of this happened. Then we did this and then this, this and this. And it's too quick. And it's got no texture. It's got no body or soul to it. It's it's an empty framework like a skeleton. Um, And both of those extremes are bad. You know, they're no fun to listen to. But the first one I actually find is more common when people start trying to use storytelling in business. They often give a very cold, factual description of things that happened in order and they haven't learned yet to uh, add texture and some feeling and emotion into what they're talking about.
3: I think also we talked earlier, didn't we, about um, about I was saying about humour, you know, the cultural issue that people hold back. But also I think that's the same with storytelling, Andrew, that people you said to learn actually in many respects is unlearn and go mm-hmm. back to their you know their childhood where actually everyone knows what a story sounds like mm. and it's That's interesting the- that that they they, they they start to think that they have to because they've been to school and they've been through all this stuff where they have to give you loads and loads of information yeah that actually nobody wants but most importantly nobody needs one of the things mm. i would say to, to clients before they go in and if they do a Presentation without PowerPoint slides, and it's it's got more stories, and it's it, it's far more uh, creative, and and it's them speaking and infusing in, in the audience is the fact that what they're doing is actually giving what their audience actually wants and needs, as opposed mm-hmm. to what they expect.
4: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so I think I think you're absolutely right, actually. There there are certain I think there are certain times when there's far too much detail, and I think the trick is to focus on the right detail within the story within the framework so for example somebody one of my clients recently was relating a story of how he worked with a a call center which was in knightsbridge of all places in london and and they'd taken over a really sort of you know high grade a posh building and there were loads of uh portaloos i don't know whether you call them portaloos in other parts of the world but temporary toilets in the street in knightsbridge um, and there was a particular reason for this, which you're probably intrigued to know. Um, but when the story was related by my client for the first time, he missed out the bit about the portaloos. <laughs> and we and we we were talking about this in a training session the other day. And, and I said, well, that, that's an interesting story, Steve. But you didn't mention about the portaloos. And everybody in the group, their ears pricked up and said, what, what about the portaloos? So they want to know about a specific detail that matters, but you don't need all the details of everything else in there. It's knowing what to put in and what to leave out.
3: Yeah. But also, it was the funniest thing, wasn't it? That was yes. the thing that made you smile. And, that, and that's exactly it. That was The, 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 reason, the reason they needed the
4: portaloos, out. incidentally, and all the listeners are dying to know, is that they, uh, they underestimated the response that they were going to get from a big advertising campaign. And they had far too many staff in the building and they, did, they only had two toilets in the whole building.
2: <laughs> a little, little technique that i learned a number of years ago with storytelling is to is to kind of write out your story and then really look through that story and look at the the, the bits that don't really matter and don't add anything to them and maybe highlight them in red and take them out and also look at the aspects that do make a, a difference and do maybe have an emotional response and uh, make sure you've got them all in and uh, and maybe make more of those
4: components exactly it's it's knowing what detail to focus on chris and i actually call this technique zooming in and zooming out so you can zoom in on a very tight detail maybe a little a badge on someone's lapel that the person you're pitching to recognizes and you t- you know it from from a frosty reception in a boardroom for a pitch you actually find that that he recognises what that badge is, and you've been to the same school, or you've been to the same, you know, university or whatever. And then you know that 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 frosty atmosphere disappears, and it's all warm and lovely and fuzzy after that. That that level of detail needs to be told because that little badge plays a key role in that story. And how? Indeed, how
2: do you best learn to be a great storyteller?
4: Sorry, say again, Chris.
2: How do you best learn to be a great storyteller? How, how do you learn?
4: Is that your question?
2: What do you learn, yeah.
4: Do you yeah, I, I think I think you've just got to do it. You know, I think, Ashley, you know, the other day you mentioned about the fact that just practice them everywhere all the time in, in situations which aren't kind of formal settings and just test drive your material. So, Ashley, any thoughts
3: from me? Your- yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think when you're sat around in an informal conversation, sat around the table with people having a drink, having a cup of coffee, having a meal, Bring your stories out then, uh, because no one's judging you, uh, you. And if you told them, "Listen, I want to run this uh, idea past you because I'm thinking about uh, using it in front of an audience of 300 people tomorrow morning," they would put their judgment faces on uh, and probably tell you, nah, "That won't work." Um, so, but if you do it without them realizing it, you can then measure their response. At which point, you can think, "Yeah, this is going to work," or, or certainly, I, I feel happy to give it a go. But I
4: think just just on the on the zooming in and the zooming out I, I didn't quite finish that explanation when you zoom in on a tight detail and you've practiced it and it's going well you also need to be able to pull out of the detail and make the bigger point and um, you know the learning the moral of the story and then you're, you're off on your way to, to, to give whatever uh, business or profound point that you want to make but I think that the key is to have a series of little stepping stones which might be stories which allow you to move that whole agenda on its way
2: Excellent. And what, what, just very quickly, I mean, where where do you think is the? I, I guess this comes down to your audience, but you know, you, you meet some people who are very detailed and like lots of detail, and then there's people who maybe have got a, a bigger picture, and uh, and and don't like respond so well to the detail. Where do you think's the the happy balance?
3: Personally, I think you, if you're if you're detail light or you go for the the headline stuff, then that has much more impact people who really want detail it's a bit like if you work with people who will tell you they'll start there telling you their their, their pitch for something with lots of information that no one needs and you say to them look just take that out and get straight to what you what you can do for them all the things that anybody that does the type of work that andrew uh, and i do would advise people but often you'll get the question well what happens if they want to know and that's a simple they'll ask you Uh, But don't give people information that they may not need. But Mm -hmm. if you're if you're wetting their appetite, then that's fantastic. And Mm -hmm. if even if you are wetting their appetite and they're not a detailed person, Mm -hmm. then you'll be keeping them very happy and they won't ask you any more questions.
4: I agree. I I think a a nice way, very briefly describing it, Chris, is that it's zooming in and zooming out. It's the balance. It's the mix between the two, which makes it powerful. So if someone in detail all the time, in other words, they're always zoomed in, that gets very boring after a while because there's too much. If people are always zoomed out and they're talking in abstract speak, people can't connect, you know, emotionally with the detail of what's going on. They can't see themselves in the story that's being told. So it's the balance of the two.
2: Excellent. so coming back to comedy again. Um, so we talked about uh, what's, you know, how best to learn to be a great storyteller. How do you recommend, Ashley, that you learn comedy to use comedy
3: again it's a it's a confidence issue i mean as far as performing comedy the best way to do it obviously is to keep doing it as far as using it in business again it's just having the confidence when you know when you're chatting with people you'll hear a lot of time of people who work in in sales and have to make telephone calls to get through to people and we talk about gatekeepers and you hear those things they come around all the time but actually you can build rapport with people by being funny uh, and it makes you memorable. And the chances of you getting through to the people that you want to speak to uh, is enormous. I had to speak to somebody once, uh, which you know I knew he was going to be difficult to get hold of. So I'd taken that attitude. Well, actually, I'm probably not going to get hold of him, but I'm going to have a go anyway. So what difference does it make? Uh, and I got through to his PA, who said to me, is he expecting your call? That's obviously their internal system. And I said, no, it's a surprise. Uh, and she put me through.
2: <laughs> Excellent. I, I had a meeting with a, a potential client a few weeks ago and really kind of warmed to this guy and one of the things that really warmed me to him was he told me he, he, we both realized we both liked running and he said um, do you know that you're sitting in the presence of a, a world record holder and uh, i said i said no and i said what was your world record And he said well actually i hold the world record for the um, fastest marathon time dressed as a tomato <laughs> my, he said, and I was so impressed with my PA who managed to uh, do, managed to work out how and earth to put me into the record books. But that uh, really, really kind of engaged me with him because it demonstrates so he's got a sense of humour. Um, <laughs> but you know, to achieve something. On Clearly, the... he
3: has if he's running around as a tomato and quite quickly. <laughs>
2: so yes, so he's inspired me to uh, to to get a mouth and time as a pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant um so just um we've got i've well, got a few minutes to less to close but not very long so i wonder what um your final messages that you'd like to leave us with um i start with start with you andrew
4: um i think the final message is that um we all have within us uh, an extraordinary library of experiences that that makes us us it's what makes us unique it's our our true usp and if we communicate in a way that doesn't include any of those things, then we're really missing a trick. Then we'll start to sound like everybody else selling this or that. Um, so I think my, my final message is to embrace what makes you unique as an individual or as a company. And that means tapping into that library of experiences. Fabulous. And that's
2: great. And and, and use uh, use stories and, uh, and, and humor to help you do that.
4: Yeah, absolutely. If you can, I mean, some of the stories will be, you know, serious, but a, a good mix. Again, it's a, a case of balance, I think. A, a lovely mix of, of humour and more serious messaging is a really nice way of, of making your talk, your presentation, your pitch more digestible. Right. And, and I guess that there's,
1: it,
2: it, as you mentioned there, you know, story isn't just about, about humour. It, it can be a sad story. It's, it's something that maybe takes people through a, a journey.
4: Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there there are several um, commonplace sort of story narrative types like, you know, revenge or um, stranger in a strange land. If you can find um, or a quest, for example, like, you know, Lord of the Rings or even Jaws is a quest kind of narrative. So if you can match something in your business message with some kind of classic narrative style and um, then you know you learn from the the great directors and the screenwriters who are very skilled at getting an emotional connection between the audience and the characters in the film you care what happens to them
2: brilliant thank you very much and uh, and you ashley
3: well I, I would echo firstly everything that um, that andrews uh, has just said but i also think i would say that for people to stand out and make themselves memorable uh, just relaxing, being a little bit humorous, being willing to be funny uh, is a good idea. I think also what it is, it's a, it's a voyage of discovery. You will discover more about the people that you're dealing with, your prospective clients, your current clients, your customers, people who you work with by using uh, humor and allowing them to do the same. But the other uh, area of discovery is you'll learn things about yourself. Uh, and you'll learn about how your warmth and likeability ability uh, works and how you can communicate with people. Uh, communicating with people when you're a little bit nervous or you're, again, it's culturally resistant, what we call uh, in, in, in Britain the stiff upper lip, that just doesn't work. It's very old-fashioned. Uh, I quite often say to professionals that, uh, that quite often they put up a professional wall between them and their clients. Quite often it's in the form of a tie, uh, and the attitude that goes with it. And I say that the person that you are at the weekend should be the person that you are during the week as well. Unless, you know, you're very, you know, um, stiff and unpleasant during the weekend, then that, that won't work. But in every other respect, people are normally relaxed when they're around family and friends and uh, they're more likable and approachable. And I think that's something that has to be brought into the workplace for everybody's benefit. But that's, that's-, so that's humour is a good way of doing that.
2: But leave you there, Ashley. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. And I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or feedback, please send them to Chris at BeMoreAchieveMore.com or connect with me on my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash BeMoreAchieveMore. On the next show, my guest is August Turak, a CEO who wrote an incredible book on the business secrets of the Trappist monks. He visits them for 17 years on a quest for meaning and authenticity, and he was astonished by how well their businesses flourished and was persuaded to write a short story for a Forbes writing competition, which, to his complete surprise, won him the $100,000 first prize. Having written the full book, the actor Michael Keaton wrote, I truly believe this book will not only improve your business, but your life. Read it. Apply what you learn and then in keeping with the very spirit of the book, pass it to someone else. I've been reading this book. It's amazing. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to him. So do, do join us on what will be a fascinating show. And once again, thank you very much to Ashley Baroda. You can find Ashley at ashleybaroda.com. That's B-O-R-A-O-D-A And uh, for Andrew, um, go to www.mojoyourbusiness.com for more information. Thank you very much again, gentlemen.
1: Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week.